Welcome to Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Your host, Leonard Birdsong, is a law professor, a former diplomat, and a former federal prosecutor who's here to inform and entertain you with a mix of humor, opinion, and information. Now, here's Leonard Birdsong. Hello, world. This is Leonard Birdsong. It is the 13th day of April, 2017. My show is a unique blend of humor, opinion, storytelling, and information, just as Dave told you. I'm happy to be here with you on Talk Zone Radio. We have a lot to talk about today. Of course, I will read some of my dumb criminal news stories, but I also wanted to tell you a little bit more about FBI investigations. We're going to have a guest who's going to talk about the Middle East, a middle-aged writer, Jeffrey Chaucer, and talk a little bit about the Canterbury Tales. This is stuff from the 14th century, folks. But at any rate, let me start by telling you that this week is generally tax-paying week. Generally, you have to have your federal taxes filed by April 15th. Now, this year, because of a 15th comes on a Saturday or Sunday, I think it's a Saturday, you uh, don't have to pay until the 18th. You have until next Tuesday to file your taxes to be within the law. So we get a tax holiday because, as I understand it, there's a on Monday, the 17th, there's a holiday in Washington, D.C., and all the government agencies are closed. So the IRS has given us until the 18th to file your taxes. I hope you filed yours. I filed mine. Here's a question that I found. Someone wanted to know what percent of the total amount of individual federal income taxes is paid by the wealthiest Americans. Maybe you might want to know this. Well, in 2014... Households with incomes of $250,000 or more accounted for 2.7% of the returns filed. Together, they paid about 51.6% of the $1.4 trillion in income taxes the federal government collected that year. Their average tax rate was 25.7% of their gross adjusted income. How about that information? Didn't know that? Well, now you do. What's the other side of the coin? Well, households with incomes below $50,000 usually account for about 62% of the returns, and collectively they paid about 5.7% of the total amount of income collected by the federal government in 2015. Their average tax rate was about 4.3%. All of these figures come from the Pew Research Center in Washington, D.C., now, I can't go on to my dumb news stories until I talk about this poor fellow doctor, David Dow. I'm sure everyone has now seen the uh, video that's gone viral of security officers pulling him off a plane in Chicago's O'Hare Airport because the plane was overbooked and they needed volunteers to have a some crew get on this plane to go to Kentucky where the plane was going. Dr. Dow did not want to go. They dragged him off the plane. He injured or he was injured. He's still in the hospital. He's already gotten lawyers. It was a horrible scene, horrible 
videos for United Airlines, bad press and bad PR. But a little research will do a lot of stuff here. I just found that the Dr. Dow, who was dragged off the plane, was once a popular singer-songwriter in South Vietnam. He um, performed under the name Dao Do An in the 1960s and the 1970s in Saigon. He specialized in Vietnamese folk and traditional tunes in a band called Bach Viet. Now, he penned, or that is, he wrote two folk songs that are still very popular in Vietnam. My Vietnamese is not very good, but the first song is Tat Nung Dao Din, and the other one is Ta Vi Ta Tam Ao Ta. They are still being sung and are very popular. Now, Dr. Dao was musically inclined, but he became a doctor. He fled Vietnam in 1975 when Saigon fell. He came to the United States. He lives in Louisville, Kentucky. He also studied culinary arts in Louisville's Sullivan University, where he helped instructors refine dishes into their Vietnamese cooking unit. So there you have it, Dr. Dow, making the headlines in a bad way, but an interesting background to this fellow. All right, this is Leonard Birdsong Radio. I have news like that for you. I hope some of it's interesting or helpful. Now we're going to read some of the dumb news stories I collect from around the world. The first one comes from Oregon. The headline read, Thieves took the roof over a man's head. A Las Vegas man whose custom-built 95-square-foot house was recently stolen from an East Oregon truck stop, and he's now gotten his house back. Lawrence Thomas is the man. He, his tiny house was snatched when he stopped to avoid severe weather as he was driving from Seattle to Las Vegas. The house was found just a half mile from the site of the theft. Tiny House Nation, that's one of these new television programs. I wouldn't want to live in a house that small. Next story comes from Pennsylvania, folks. The headline reads, Nope, no work release this time. A man claimed that three to six months in jail was excessive for driving without a license. So Randy Smith, that's Snallsmith, 49, asked to serve his time on work release. Nevertheless, a state court panel called the sentence reasonable. Why? Because it was Smith's 22nd driving offense. A next story also comes from Pennsylvania. The headline Deep doo-doo, maybe? A man who operates a business scooping up pet poop was recently sentenced to two years of probation and fined $500 for using fake Secret Service ID cards and badges to impress women on a dating website. Chris Diorio, 54, of the town of Greensburg, Pennsylvania, also used phony IDs to score government rate Hotel rooms. That is a new no, no, no. Boo, indeed. Peanut Gallery is booing on that one, and they should. All right, we got more stories. Here's one from Texas. Headline. Oh, how silly. Border Patrol agents caught smugglers with 3,000 pounds of marijuana, made to look like watermelons. They tried to sneak the weed in on a truck by wrapping the pot in green bundles at the Far International Bridge Cargo 
facility. It did not work. They were busted. How silly. 3,000 pounds of marijuana made to look like watermelons. All right, this next story comes from Texas also. The headline here. Fat Chance. That's the headline. Austin. Austin police pulled over Florentino Herrera, 48, for driving erratically, officials report. While the officer sat in his cruiser radioing about the stop to the station house, the cruiser dash cam caught Herrera trying to hide cocaine in a fold of his stomach fat. He was charged with DWI and evidence tampering for hiding the cocaine in his belly fat. What do you think about that? (laughs) All right, that's the peanut gallery. We got you. Okay. All right, sticking with Texas, just, just a couple more here. The headline for this story, judge arrested for one finger salute. State District Judge Patrick Garcia has been charged with misdemeanor disorderly conduct for getting into an argument and flipping the finger at a fellow judge in El Paso. The judge turned defendant was angry. Why? Because he believed the lower court judge had undermined a plea bargain arranged in Garcia's court, according to prosecutors. Our next story comes from Uganda. Hellfire, said the headline. Hellfire. A government official in the East African country of Uganda was buried with $5,700 in cash because he wanted to bribe God once he got to heaven, according to reports. Charles Obong, 52, hoped the cash would help him, quote, save him from hellfire, end quote. However, as it turns out, Members of his church later dug him up and gave the cash to his family. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's funny, too. All right, how about this, folks? My last little dumb news story for the day comes from the state of Utah. A motorist in the town of Garland, Utah, called police, fearing he was being followed. When police showed up, they found the driver had reason to be paranoid. Why? He was driving around with 36 pounds of crystal meth hidden in food jars in his car. The police chief said, quote, it was obvious he was on some kind of drug, end quote. It was probably meth, folks, probably meth. (laughs) All right. Okay. It's not that funny. any rate, those are the dumb criminal. Okay, all right, we got it. Those are the the dumb criminal news stories that I had for the day. But I have a little news tidbit here that I wanted to read for you before we take our first break here. This one comes from California. Just a news tidbit. The headline read, they didn't have the breast time in California. 
they didn't have the breast time in California. The story. Former San Diego Mayor Roger Hedgecott and his wife sued the city recently for a trip and fall that allegedly ruptured her silicone breast implants and caused more than $25,000 in damages. Hedgecott was elected mayor in 1983 but resigned two years later amid a campaign donation scandal. What a trip and fall. Not the breast time in California. All right, it's not that funny, but it is a little bit funny. All right, folks, this is Leonard Birdsong Radio. we got more to come. We've got more information, some news tidbits, talk a little bit about how the FBI or what they may be doing in their investigation about the Trump uh, campaign colluding with the Russians, if they did. But we're going to take a little break here. I want you to stay with me. We'll be back with more Leonard Birdsong Radio. Dave, take me out, please. Consumer Debt Counselors is the company that will help you get out of debt. Consumer Debt Counselors is a licensed, accredited nonprofit agency that specializes in educating people about credit and debt and helping people resolve issues with debt, even student loan debt. There are so many federal regulations. Most people have more options than they realize, and Consumer Debt Counselors can uncover all of your eligible solutions, including lowering your payment or getting out of default. If you want a partner that will work with you to achieve financial success, talk to the team at Consumer Debt Counselors. They have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so these guys are the real deal. Your first consultation is free, and all sessions are kept confidential. Give them a call at 1-800-820-9232 or go to ConsumerDebtCounselors.org slash birdsong. The number again is 800-820-9232. Although he's been involved in serious criminal law work over the years as a prosecutor, a defense attorney, and a law professor, Leonard Birdsong knows that it's good to stay grounded. That means not always taking criminal law so seriously and instead just having a good laugh at some dumb criminals and their dumber crimes. Several years ago, he began to collect and compile weird and funny criminal law stories. He shares some of them weekly on his TalkZone Internet radio program. And now you can read more of them yourself in one of his 14 humor books. He has two book series, Professor Birdsong's Dumbest Criminal Law Stories and Professor Birdsong's Weird Criminal Law stories. They're available for purchase in either paperback or Kindle edition by going to the author link on the homepage at leonardbirdsong.com. Leonard knows that you'll get a few good laughs or at least a few chuckles from his collections of dumb and weird criminal law stories. Check them out for yourself by going to the author link at leonardbirdsong.com. Welcome back to Leonard Birdsong Radio on talkzone.com. Hello, folks. Hello, folks. I told you I'd be back with you. This is Leonard Birdsong on Leonard Birdsong Radio. Happy to be with you here today. This is tax week. You have to get your taxes filed by the 18th of April. Usually it's the 15th, but because of a holiday and the fact that the 15th falls on the weekend, the government is giving you until the 18th. 
Last week, uh, among other things, I talked to you about immunity of witnesses. We had a General Flynn, who was the um, national security advisor for the Donald Trump administration, lasted in office only 24 days. He uh, was fired because supposedly he talked to the Russians, shouldn't have done that. It may have been that he has colluded with him before he took office. But at any rate, I talked to you about the fact of government can give you immunity against incriminating yourself, and it's found, uh, the statute is found at Title 18 of the United States Code in Chapter 601. The uh, definitions are actually found at 6001. The basic immunity statute is at 6002, and uh, it's used, use immunity, the basic kind of immunities given in courts almost every day so that people can help the government put bad people away. It's also called turning state's evidence. You get either a reduced sentence or no time for helping out by going to the grand jury and telling what's going on. Now, we know from the FBI director that there is an FBI investigation going on about whether the Trump campaign colluded with the Russian government in trying to upset our last elections in 2016. That is, the Russians allegedly wanted Hillary Clinton to lose. They spread a lot of false information in an effort to help Donald Trump. That's the theory of the government. So what's happening with the FBI? We don't know for sure, but I can tell you based on my experience as a federal prosecutor, I'm pretty sure that the FBI has at least one and maybe two grand juries going. What are grand juries? A grand jury is a secretive body of citizens who come together to listen to evidence that government agencies may have come up with and they want to expose to determine whether certain people should be prosecuted. They try to find whether there's probable cause that a crime has been committed. I used to do a lot of grand jury work when I was in Washington, D.C. The grand jury does not have a judge. It does not have two attorneys. There's only one attorney. That attorney is from the government. The attorney can bring in evidence of people who are targets of an investigation. Who may be the targets? Well, some of these people... In this particular FBI investigation, maybe targets who've been picked up on surveillance under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, and there may be information that they have done things with the Trump Trump campaign. Now, I don't know for sure. I'm not in this investigation, but I've been in enough investigations to know that federal grand juries last for 18 months, and in 18 months you can do a lot of investigation. Out of grand juries, very often you will get indictments. People who are targets get indicted. Very often the government will charge people with conspiracy, federal conspiracy. You can go to prison up to five years for one count of conspiracy. However, very often the FBI wants you to work with the government, turn state's evidence, and they will give you immunity from prosecution if you testify in the grand jury and testify truthfully and perhaps testify to the trial court about what 
went on during the conspiracy and what actions could be taken. Now, all of this is very hush-hush. It's not done in the open. It's done behind closed doors. Very often the people who are under investigation have already been picked up and may be waiting bail. They may also be waiting sentencing. They are debriefed about what they know, and this debriefing normally entails them being in some secret location, maybe in the courthouse. Normally there is a FBI agent. There is the prosecutor. There is the defense attorney for the defendant. And uh, there may be a court reporter outside of the office or room where this is being held is a United States marshal. In the room, the prosecutors generally tell the defendant they want to cooperate, that, look, we've got you jammed up. We have this evidence on you. They show the evidence. Maybe they have it recorded. They say, you know, you can go to jail for this, but you can help us out, and maybe it'll cut your time. If they decide to do that, everyone has to be on board. The prosecutor has to be on board. The FBI has to be on board. The uh, defense attorney has to be on board and the defendant. Now, when I say on board, that means all of these people sign what's known as a plea agreement. It's got a lot of language in it. Most of them are about 10 to 13 pages long. And in essence, they say that uh, me, defendant, will work with the government to expose some crime. In turn, I will get immunity from prosecution or I'll get a limited prosecution or a shorter time in jail or in prison. Now, basically, this is all done hush-hush. All the parties have to sign. The defendant has to sign. The prosecutor has to sign. The defense attorney has to sign, all saying they're doing this uh, in an effort to bring this investigation to a close. Now, basically, the, we want the people who are less culpable to agree to these crimes and agree to turn state's evidence so they can tell on people who are higher up in the food chain, the people we really want to get in prison or put in prison. So all this is going on. Most people don't know about it. People may be under investigation. Some of you out there may be under investigation by a grand jury, but you may never know about it. Grand juries work in secret. When I was in Washington, D.C., in the U.S. Attorney's Office, federal courthouse in Washington, D.C., the grand jury floor is on the third floor, and no one but the U.S. Attorney, a U.S. Marshals, rather, can let you off in the elevators on the third floor. It's very secretive. I used to sometimes have to try cases across the Potomac River in Virginia. The Eastern District Courthouse is uh, in Alexandria, Virginia. The court, the, the grand jury meets not in the basement of this 22 story building, but in the sub basement. The only people who can go down there are marshals and the people who are the grand jurors. There is a law. There is what's known as grand jury secrecy. The grand jurors cannot tell anyone what's going on. The court reporters can't tell anyone what goes on in a grand jury. The prosecutor cannot tell anyone what's going on in the grand jury. And the people who go into the grand jury as witnesses 
probably should not say what's going on, but they're not under the law stopped from doing it. The only problem is sometimes when people spill their guts, they get killed. So grand jury secrecy is something that we have to help fight crime. I don't know much about the FBI investigation per se that's going on, but I do know how the process works. It may take 18 months to get all of the information they need in this investigation. It may be shorter than that, but I certainly know that it's going on in secret and people work at it day after day. I've been there. Glad I don't have to do it anymore. All right, that's all I want to say. We know that there are investigations going on. You now know we have immunity. You can get it if you cooperate. You also know a little bit about grand juries. Grand juries are made up of about 23 people. In order to indict someone, a majority of 12 people have to vote for a what's called a true bill. That way we will have an indictment. Very often indictments are sealed, that is, Many indictments are public, and reporters can go down to the courthouse and find out about them. In some of these high-level cases, the court will put a order that these uh, indictments will be sealed. That is, they cannot be opened until all of the conspirators or all the people who have been under investigation have been arrested and brought before the court. We'll see how this all works out. Just stick with me over the next month. I think things will develop, and I'll talk to you more about how these things work. I've been through them myself on both sides as a prosecutor, federal prosecutor, and as a defense attorney. All right. Well, we've got more to come. We've got a guest coming up. Fred Jonathan is his name. He is a scholar. He is a lawyer. He knows a lot about the Middle Ages, and we're going to talk about Chaucer and the Canterbury Tales. Why might that be important? Well, the Canterbury Tales stand conspicuous among the great literary achievements of the Middle Ages. Told by a jovial procession of pilgrims, a knight, a priest, a yeoman, a miller, a cook, as they ride toward the shrine of St. Thomas a Becket, or really Thomas a Becket, and uh, they present a picture of the nation of a nation that is England taking shape and some of the laws that took shape and how some of those laws have come down to us in the United States. We share a tradition of common law that developed in England and then it came over to the colonies in the United States. Much of our law is based on British common law. So it's all interesting. We'll put it together with you. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to Dr. and Professor Fred Jonathan. Stay with us. There's always more to come on Leonard Birdsong Radio here at Talk Zone. <laughs> 